Amen, amen. How are we doing, church? Doing good? Hope so. You look good. Grab your Bibles if you got them. Joshua chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're studying the book of Joshua really from now until Easter. And um, I, I have two goals today. Very clear. I'm not a tricky person. I'm not a bait and switch guy. I'm going to tell you my intent for you, all right? The, the staff around here jokes all the time because I tell people, listen, God loves you and I have a plan for your life. And so here is my plan for your life. By the end of this service, this day, when I say amen at the end of the sermon, that if you haven't yet, that you would surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is goal number one. And, and here's why. Because there are some of you, there are some of you that are thinking you're too far gone, could not be further from the truth. And there's some of you that think you're pretty good, that is also a lie. So that's goal number one, that every single one of us would surrender our life to Christ. And then secondly, my second goal is that if you've never gone public with your faith and been baptized, then today, at the end of this service, that you can be baptized. And we've had people get baptized in their clothes and all that kind of stuff so far in all of our services. And, and so go ahead and let that just start working you over uh, for the next about 40 minutes or so. And if you're like, ah, I don't have the right clothes, guess what? We have clothes for you, and I picked them out. You're going to look great in them, okay? Big black shirt and, or, or something from Post Closet. So get your Bibles. Go to Joshua chapter 2. And, and the reason we're going to study Joshua chapter 2, what's crazy about Joshua 2 is you don't really need it in the book of Joshua um, to complete the epic adventure that is Joshua taking over the promised land. It's almost like um, God takes this little diversion, but it really, it really reveals a part of the heart of God. You see, don't raise your hand here because you'll incriminate yourself, but have you ever felt like you're just damaged goods? You ever felt like you're just too far gone? Have you ever felt like because somebody, and it could have been some church, gave you some label that th you thought you were outcast, and, and I know for God so loved the world, but that's the other world. That's the word out there. That's the, that's the good people or the pretty good people. That's those people. And God's for those people, but I think I'm too far gone. Couldn't be further from the truth. But then there's a bunch of you in here who are like, no, God thinks I'm pretty awesome. Uh, and, and what you think, some of you think that regardless of what you've done or who you've done it with and how often you've done it and you plan on doing it again tonight, all right, no matter how egregious your sin is, you kind of think that God's just kind of some big fairy that's just going to pat you on the head one day and be like, come here, give me a hug, don't worry about it. Both of them are absolute lies from the pit of hell. And some of you think God's kind of this just force out there, and I know this, because I got a prayer card. You think I don't read these? I do. I got a prayer card this week from uh, Luke Skywalker. His email is usetheforce at gmail.com. He's a first-time guest, and he's interested in mission trips, which he should be, right, in a land far away. And here's his prayer that <laughs> he said, I pray that one day my father will turn from the dark side. So here's the deal. We're praying for you, Luke. We really are, and praying for your dad. But the reality of your dad is not to just turn from the dark side. Your dad is the dark side. It's in and of him, and God is not the force. God is the father who sent his son on a rescue mission for you, Luke, and your evil dad, Darth, okay? That's how it works. And so what we're going to find here is that truth here in, in Joshua chapter 2. So if you got it, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from, anybody want to read the name of that city? Yeah, me either. That's kind of a crappy place to be from, isn't it? <laughs> so he's from that place, as spies, saying, go and view the land, especially Jericho. And when they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, time out. So why did the spies go to the prostitute's house? Why do you think? You think it's do Bible study? <laughs> These guys go on a mission, mission trip or a business trip and be like, fellas, what you doing? We just praying here at Rahab's, all right? Maybe, maybe, maybe they do need a Savior like we all do. Or maybe it's because 
um, they needed secrecy because they're going to go spy on this town, and, and they don't want to be known as they go into Rahab's house, just like no one wants to be known when they sneak into Rahab's house. So if we give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe, or maybe not, I don't know. Verse 2, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. And so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So you might ask yourself, so why is she helping these men? I mean, what is going on that Rahab, this prostitute who grew up in Jericho, wants to help these two strangers, men that she had never met? Why would she put her life on the line to help these two strangers? Well, verse 8 and following, tell us why. Verse 8, before the men lay down, She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants in the land melt away before you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before before you when you came out of Egypt. In other words, word of the activity of God is spreading all the way to Jericho. That, That when God does stuff, People talk about it, even if they don't believe in God, even if they don't love God yet, but they begin to talk about the things that God begins to do. Can I just tell you this very personally? Do you know that if you claim to be a Christ follower, there are people watching you? There are people watching you, and when things that bring God glory happen in your life, your friends and neighbors and people you drive carpool with and the people you sit on that board with, they talk about that kind of stuff. And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, I'm telling you, you're at the ball field, the ref makes a bad call, and they all look down the sideline at you to see how you are going to respond. I promise. And not only is that an individual truth, but it's also a corporate truth. Let me tell you this, church. The eyes of Jacksonville are on the church of 1122. I know this because because here's what's happening. So they see our church, you know, this renovated old Walmart, and then they meet me, and they think, God must be up to something, okay? If he's going to use kind of the island of misfit toys like us to do this kind of thing, what is God about? And here's how I know, because last Sunday after the 1.30 service, I had to run some errands, had to run to Terry's Country Store, and I walk out of Terry's Country Store uh, at the beach on Pimmon, and this guy asked me to sign um, some kind of petition, political petition thing, and I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And then he said, hey, man, uh... I think I've seen you on TV. And I was like, what do you mean TV? And he said, I just went to the Bay Meadows, Bay Meadows Church, Bay Meadows location. And was that you on the screen? And I was like, yeah, let me sign your little thing. What you need me to sign? Okay, so I signed this thing, whatever it is. I don't know what I signed up for. Pray for me. So, <laughs> and I was like, well, how did you get there? And he's like, you know what, man? Um, man, I don't go to church. I haven't been to church a long, long time. Got beat up by a bunch of churches. And then my girlfriend lives in the apartments literally across the street from that from that old sneakers, and when we saw the sneaker sign go down, and we saw all this construction, we were kind of interested, and then a couple of weeks ago, when that cross went up, we were like, oh my gosh, that's a church, and so I just had to go and see what it was about. You see, people in that area were just talking about the activity of God, and didn't even know that God was wooing, wooing them unto himself, and I was like, dude, that's super cool, all right, I'll see you next week, and he went, no, no, you won't, but I'll see you. He gets it, right, totally gets it. 
So the word is spreading. <clears throat> and he says, so he says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan in Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. You might want to underline that. As soon as we heard of the activity of God, something in here began to change that, that I'm having a hard time describing. That our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And here's why. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. What's happening here is that the life of Rahab is being changed. What she is saying is, when I began to hear of the activity of God, and I understood that God's people were coming to my city, coming to Jericho, something happened from the inside out. And what began to happen from the inside out is my defenses began to fall down. And then my heart began to not be so callous, and, and, and I don't have a heart of stone anymore. It began to melt down. And I have come to the place where I believe that the Lord your God, that he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So why is Rahab helping these men? Because she began to believe that their God was the one true God. And she essentially is surrendering her life to the lordship of their God instead of, instead of her own self. And because she does that, because she begins to change from the inside out, then, then the outside does eventually begin to change, and her actions begin to line up with what she actually believes. Verse 12, it says, now then. See, now then. Because my belief has been put in God, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brother and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. In other words, her actions are evidence of her allegiance, not a prerequisite. She's saying, I'm changing teams. I'm going from team Jericho to team God, okay? And so regardless of what you do, I, the reason that I am protecting you, protecting God's people, is because I believe what, what's happened in the core of whom I, I am has Change and my allegiance is now to the one true God, to your God. <clears throat> this matters. This matters that the faith came before the action. You see, because a lot of us, a lot of, especially if you grew up in a good Bible teaching church in the South, a lot of people think that you obey in order to be acceptable before God. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's actually the exact opposite. Because Christ's death and resurrection makes you acceptable before God, therefore we obey. And that's what we find right here with her. In verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 15, and then she led him down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall that she lived in the wall. We're gonna find out in chapter six that the walls around Jericho were huge. They would race chariots around them on the outside and they would put the poor people like in the corners of the city. And so literally, if she opened up her window, then it was out of town. So she opens up the window and lets the guys go down that way, verse 16. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterward, you may go on your way. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord. You might want to underline that, scarlet cord. It's going to be important. 
that you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and all your father's household. And then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear, verse 21. And she said, according to your words, so be it. The word so be it is a translation of the word amen, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied, here it is, she tied the scarlet cord or a scarlet thread in the window. I want to share with you three Three things that, that Rahab comes face to face with. Three realities that Rahab comes face to face with. The first reality of Rahab is this. Number one, is that she knew that she was in trouble and that judgment's coming. I mean, she knew that she is in trouble. Not only is she personally in trouble, I mean, this was not the road that she'd hoped to take. If you ask Rahab when she's a middle school girl, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? She does not want to be a prostitute. But something happened to her, and she made some sort of response and decisions to those things, and that's where she ends up, and she knows she's in trouble. Not only that, she knows that the judgment of God is coming upon her. And I'm not even talking about some eternal judgment one day when she dies. I'm talking about she looks out the window of her house, and there is the army of Israel, and she knows that God has given this land to them. She knows she's in trouble. She knows she's in trouble and judgment's coming. And the second thing, her reality is this. She knows that she can't save herself. I mean, she can try to run and hide, but eventually they'll find her. And she can pull out her sword and stand out in front of her apartment and fight, but that will not last long. And she can try to clean herself up and, and, and you know, repent of her prostitution business and sell Girl Scout cookies to old nuns crossing the street, but that's still not going to do anything to prevent the judgment of God coming down upon her. She knows she's in trouble, and she knows she cannot save herself. And the third thing is that she knows that her only hope is the grace and mercy of God, that the only hope of Rahab is the grace and the mercy of God. And so she goes to these men, and she basically just begs them. She says, listen, I have put my hope and my faith in the one true God, in, in your Lord, Yahweh, the King. I'm putting my hope and my trust in there, and my only hope of salvation is just by God's grace and mercy. And now, what we find out, what we find out in Joshua chapter 6, in case you haven't read ahead or you're new to Bible study, spoiler alert, it goes really bad for Jericho. Okay, we'll be, here, we'll be there in a, few, in a few weeks in our series here. But God's going to come in, uh, Joshua and his army are going to come in, and they're going to shout the walls down, and all the walls are going to fall down in Jericho, except apparently the little part where she lived, and, and she and her family are spared. God's grace is upon her, not because of anything that she did, but simply because she believed in God. And then, and then, this is even better. You see, because a lot of people can kind of understand salvation um, up to the point where you get saved and God's going to let you in heaven one day for forgiving your sins. But not only that, not only does God rescue her and justify her, but he adopts her into the family of Israel. And in fact, if you flip through to the New Testament, you find a lot of places where Rahab is actually used by God in really, really significant ways. And if you're like, well, what does that have to do with me? You know what it has to do with you? If you think you are beyond the reach of God, you're absolutely wrong. Not only can God save you and justify you, but he can actually use you for his glory and your joy. Do you know, in the book of James, which is Jesus' half-brother, the book of James uses Rahab as a primary example of, of faith that leads to action. 
And in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, there's this whole chapter, and it's called like the Hall of Faith, where these men and women that are heroes are listed in there, like Abraham and Moses and people like that. And this girl goes from hooker to hero, put that in your Baptist pipe and smoke it, okay? What does that do for you? And so, and then if you go to Matthew, there's this, there's these genealogies, and I know you probably skip over them all the time, but they're super, super important. They're super important. And there are four women listed in the genealogies of Jesus, which was, was totally countercultural to the first century. You would typically only, only list the, the men in a genealogy. And so they list four women, and one of them is Rahab, this prostitute. So you mean to tell me that not only did God rescue Rahab and redeem her, but makes her the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? You're absolutely right. Oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished unto us. Not that he just saved us, but that he would call us children of God. Now, it's interesting that of all the things that she hangs out of her window, she hangs out this scarlet thread. You see, theologians and people that write commentaries and gospel preachers like me, you see, we believe that that there's a scarlet thread that actually goes through the entire Bible. That though the Bible is for you, the Bible is primarily not about you. The Bible is primarily about Jesus. From the very beginning to the very, very end, it's a big neon sign that points to Jesus, 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 Jesus. That it is a scarlet thread all the way from the beginning to the end. That that in the beginning, when God said, let us make mankind in our image, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are having this little conversation amongst themselves. And God's love for God's self spills out into creation, and he makes humankind, man and woman. And he breathes life into Adam, the very first man. And man and woman are face-to-face with their creator in this perfect relationship. And then man and woman sin against God. And because God is just, he kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. And on their way out, he says, I am going to put enmity between Eve, between your offspring and between this enemy. And one day, one day, there's going to be one that comes on a rescue mission. And the enemy's going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush the enemy's head. It is the proto-evangelion, the first gospel. We get it in Genesis chapter 3. From the very beginning, God knew that there was going to be one sent on a rescue mission, just like Joshua came in and rescued Rahab. There was going to be a greater Joshua, another Yeshua, that was going to come on a rescue mission. And he wasn't just going to cross over the Jordan and go from the desert to the promised land. He was going to take the people of God, those of us that would trust him and believe in him, and cross over from death to life and take us into the promised land forever and ever. Amen. And so the whole point of the whole Bible, again, it's for you, it's just not about you. It's about Jesus. That's what the prophets were about, that's what the tabernacle was about, that's what the temple was about, it's what the, the substitutionary atonement system was about, it's what the cross was about, it's what the coming of Jesus again is about, it's all about him. And I know a lot of you did grow up in Sunday school, and the way you were taught to read the Bible is you thought it was about you, you thought you were the main character. So you would study David and Goliath, and you're like, I get it, I'm David, and my problem is Goliath, and I just knock it down with a stone. Wrong answer. Because what happens in that scenario, you throw the rock, and you throw the rock, and you run out of all your rocks, and Goliath kills you. The way the Bible is written is that Jesus is the greater David, that Jesus is David. Goliath is our greatest problem, which is sin, and he wipes it off once and for all, and you and I are the scared little Israelites hiding in our tents, afraid to even get in the game. You see, the whole thing is about you Surrendering your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what the scarlet thread of the gospel is throughout the entire scriptures. 
And so that means that the reality that Rahab faces is our reality. That every single one of us, as God begins to melt our hearts, will come to the same reality that Rahab came to. First and foremost, that we're in trouble. We're in trouble and judgment's coming. Secondly, that we can't save ourselves. And thirdly, we need the mercy and grace of God. I think the best place that encapsulates those ideas is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. If you've got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 3. And he spells this out for us. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, Paul says this. It says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See? Or do you need me to explain? I'll explain. All right. The first thing is that we're all in trouble. That's what Romans 3.23 means when it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every single one of us, by our own decisions, are right where Rahab is. That we're in trouble and, and a judgment is coming. And you and I are sinners. Now listen, even if you're new to church and new to Bible study, you're like, how dare you call me a sinner? Listen, I'm not. Judge for yourself. Do you lie? Have you ever, have, how many of you have done this week? Yes, I have read the terms and conditions. Click. Did you do that? That makes you a liar, does it not? So even if, even if you Measure yourself by your own standards. We can't even keep our own standards. It's just true. Nobody's lied to you more than you. Nobody's broken more promises to you than you. Nobody's talked more junk about you than you. If somebody treats you as bad as you treat you, do not be their friend. That is true. That is true. You've been like, I promise I'll never do this again. Or how about this? We're about three weeks into the New Year's. How's the New Year's resolution going? Right? You hear me? It's like, <laughs> how do you know? Because I know. We're at Taco Tuesday this week, all right? We go to Taco Tuesday, me and some of my friends, on Tuesday nights for dollar beer and dollar tacos. And I know the fact that I just said beer. Some of you are like, I think that's a sin. No, no, no. Putting fruit in your beer is a sin. All right, that's a fact. Now, (laughs) unless you're in Mexico, then it's missions. That's how that works. Now, so we're there. And one of my friends looks around the table as we're eating tacos, like 100 of them, and, and he says, has anybody changed any of their eating habits since the new year started? And I said, I'm starting tomorrow. And then Wednesday, I had wings, all right? Liar, I am a liar. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what begins to happen? (laughs) What begins to happen is that the Holy Spirit comes along, and as God begins to melt your heart, and hear me, there is nothing that I can do to melt your heart. And when you come and say nice things to me, which you should, the Bible says that we're supposed to encourage one another. So I, I really do appreciate your encouragement. It really, I'm a words guy. I mean, it's what I do. I appreciate when you say these things. But when you say things like, you changed my life, I can't change anything. I can't change anything. It's only by the spirit and the power of God that melts hearts so that you can begin to understand, uh-oh, there's a problem, and the problem is me. You see, first and foremost, that we're in trouble because we've sinned 
And only God begins to melt hearts. And then secondly, we can't save ourselves. That's why verse 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, religion won't do it. All religious activity does is point out how bad we need a Savior. In Romans 3.23, when it says, um, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that phrase, fallen short, literally means miss the mark. Miss the mark. The idea, it's like if God held an archery tournament, and he said, because I am perfect, in round one, you have to be perfect to go on to round two. And then you stepped up, and on the very first shot, you drew back, and you released the arrow, and you missed the mark, or you missed the bullseye then it does not matter how many more bullseyes you can hit in a row from that moment on. It does nothing to make up for the fact that you've already missed the mark and his standard is perfection. Now, the place where that analogy breaks down is it's not just like we were trying real hard and we accidentally messed up. It's actually like we've been invited into God's archery tournament and we draw our arrow back and then we point it and shoot him right in the face. And then we're like, oh, my bad, God. And then we start shooting bullseyes and like, hey, you're gonna let me through? And then with an arrow hanging out of his face, he's like, I don't think so, Scooter. You see, we are we're actually enemies in glad rebellion against God. And so, first and foremost, we're sinners. We're all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And secondly, we can't change that on our own. We, like Rahab, we need the mercy and the grace of God. So in verse 22, Paul says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Believe means to trust It means to believe in, not just believe that. To shift the weight of who you are onto Jesus. To actually believe at that soul level that when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, that he meant the payment for your sin was paid for. And you're going to trust you, or you're going to trust him. That's what he means. It says, for there is no distinction, for all have have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. That word justified here, this isn't a perfect definition, but, but it's good enough. It's, it's because of what Christ did on the cross, it's justified never sinned. That when God looks at me, he sees the imputed righteousness of Christ, and it's just as if you've lived an absolutely perfect life. And you get that by his grace, not by anything you've done. And it's a gift. What do you do to earn a gift? Nothing. You just receive a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the end of 24. Every time you download a Groupon and you take it in, you are participating in a gospel experience. You don't do anything to earn a coupon. You get it, you go to the grocery store, you get that thing that that you want to buy, and they're like, it's 30 bucks. You're like, ha ha, not for me, I have a coupon. And you redeem the coupon. But somebody paid for that thing that you're walking out with for free. That's what it means when we've been redeemed in Christ. That it's a free gift of salvation for us, and it costs Jesus everything whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. We're going to continuously teach on this word propitiation. It's very important. And again, I've got, there's a lot of new growing churches that's like, you know what, you probably shouldn't teach on words like propitiation. Your people can't get it. If you can get caramel macchiato, you can get propitiation, okay? (laughs) Propitiation just means a payment that satisfies. A payment that satisfies. We've all sinned before an almighty God, and we deserve all of his wrath. We deserve it as enemies of God because we've been our own God. We've committed high treason against the great king. And then when Jesus dies on the cross, his blood is the propitiation for our sin, meaning it, it's a payment that satisfies. Here's what this means. 
That means if God is fully satisfied in the payment of Jesus on the cross, he can't be dissatisfied in you. He can't be dissatisfied in you. And some of you think that God's just in love with some future version of you once you get your act together. Once you start cussing, stops cussing so much and quit drinking so much during the week and quit watching all those horrible TV shows. And then, then, he'll love you. But the reality is, in Christ, he's fully satisfied in you. Here, here, here's what that means. You can't disappoint God. Because disappointment has to do with being surprised. Wives, you know why you're so disappointed in your husband? Because you thought by this time you'd have him trained better. That's why. You walk into the bathroom with the seat up, and you're like, what? How long is this going to take? And you have this level of disappointment. You do. You're like, how can he know the third-string receiver for the, for the you know, San Diego Chargers, and he can't even do the toilet? See, because you have this expectation and an experience. God is never surprised by you. He, ne- he didn't look at any of you last night and be like, what in the name of me is she doing? All right? No. <laughs> he didn't. He knew every single thing you and I were going to do to slap the face of an almighty God. And he says, I'll pay for that one and adopt that one into my family. That's what it means that Jesus is the propitiation by his blood to be received, not by our works, but to be received by faith. And then it says, this was to show God's righteousness. You see, because God is righteous, because God is just, sin must be paid for. A lot of people think that God's like the force or, or that God's just some kind of, you know, fairy sprinkling pixie dust on people, and one day he's going to say, I ah, don't worry about it. It wasn't that bad. Come here, give me a hug. Let's sing Kumbaya. That is not how it goes. That because of the justice and the holiness of God, sin must be paid for. Sin must be paid for. And, and, and I know this is where people get sideways because there have been times where I thought, God, why don't you just forgive everybody? I forgive people all the time. Why don't you just call an all-skate? Okay, all-skate. Everybody on the floor. No matter what you believe, what you've done, let's go. I'll cover it up. Because he's holy and just, and to do that, he would not be true to who he is and make God himself a liar, and God is not a liar. And because, because God is just, sin must be paid for. And listen, in our, in our kind of casual culture, a lot of people jack around with the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, we slap the face of an almighty God, and it requires an everlasting punishment. And we think, eh, not that big a deal. I'm a pretty good guy. See, every time I look at that, every time I think about this, I think about this event that happened in my life. And I know that I tell this story all the time, but there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the same story. I get to at least tell it four times a year. So when I was back in college, I was going out with this girl, and she was missing a finger. Not the whole thing, just the important part with the nail on the end, okay? And, and, and I'm just going to be honest. When I figured it out, when I met her, it was dark and it was loud. And I was, you know, I didn't do a finger count, all right? And, and we were in the car, and she put it on me. And I was like, ugh, ugh, what, 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 what happened? Oh, oh, boy. And then I thought, the end is near. All right, I did. And I know some people are like, oh, you're so shallow. It's much worse than you think. It really is. And if you're missing a finger, God loves you, and you're fearfully, wonderfully made. But we ain't dating. That's just how it's going, okay? So, so I knew the end was near. So we go, we go on this date to this place called Maymont Park. I lived in, in Richmond for a while, went to school at VCU, go Rams. And uh, so we're there at Maymont Park, and it was always full of college kids and kindergarten students because it was like a dollar to get in, so it was a cheap date, kind of a zooish sort of place. And they had a petting zoo. And so we're there one day, and they had, um, they had fainting goats. Have you ever seen these things? You can be like, ah, and they go, and they just fall over. I don't know how they're still alive, okay? But that's what they do. And so we do that for a while, then they ran us out of there. And then we went over to the petting zoo part, and you could put a quarter in and get you some goat food, and you could just feed the goats. And so there we are, me and this girl, and, and all these, like, kindergarten people, you know, it was a, it was a field trip or whatever. And, and, and the girl I was dating, she's feeding this goat, and I thought, this would be great. 
And so right when she got done with the food, I was like, oh, no, it's bit off a finger. And she was like, what? Stop. And the kids see the missing finger, and they lose their mind. Ah! And they're running. They're knocking over goats. I mean, it's going crazy. You ever been kicked out of a zoo? I have. Okay, so. You're like, what does that have to do with the Bible? Hang in here, okay? That's why I'm a professional. So let me tell you where we never jacked around. You never jacked around in the lion exhibit. Nobody would walk in there with like a big T-bone and be like, watch this joke. Uh-uh, because you're the joke. Whoop, there's no more you. And you tick off the line, and he's just eating up little kindergarten kids forever. And a lot of times, we treat the lion of Judah like some petting goat at a zoo. And the almighty sovereign king is holy and just, and he deserves our reverence and our awe, and he will not overlook sin. Because he is just, sin must be paid for. But because of his mercy, he delayed the payment. That's how people in the Old Testament got saved. They looked forward to the Messiah that would come on their behalf. The way we get saved is we look back on the life, death, and resurrection that came on our behalf. And not only that, in our own lives. Anybody sin this week? Me too. So why didn't God squish us right there? Because in his mercy, he delayed the payment so that we could surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ. Because God is just, payment must be made for sin. Because of his mercy, payment is delayed. That's what it means when it says, um, because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And then the last part, because of his grace, he made the payment. That's why it says he's the just and the justifier. So here's what that means. That every single one of us, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, could you just be reminded of how good and gracious God is to us? Listen, man, we're in trouble before an almighty and perfect God. And we can undo anything on our own to save ourselves. And we need the grace and mercy of God poured out in his son, Jesus Christ, that he came on a rescue mission for you and for me. And so what Rahab does is she surrenders her life to the Lord. She says, I'm switching teams. I'm switching allegiance. I'm off of team, team Jericho, and I'm on team what one day will be Jesus. And so what about you? Have you come to that place where you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? Because no matter how bad you think you've been, you are not too far gone. And no matter how good you think you are, you need a Savior, not just a life coach. And then what Rahab does after she surrenders her life to the Lord, she hangs this scarlet thread out of her window. You see, that scarlet thread, here's what it was for. It was for the people of God to begin to identify Rahab that she had switched teams. That she's no longer part of, of the family of Jericho. Now she is part of the family of God. It was because she declared that her allegiance was to the Most High God. And it wasn't that scarlet thread that saved her. It was just a symbol that she had been saved. Did you know in the New Testament we have the same kind of, of symbol? And that symbol doesn't save you. But that symbol is, is just that it. it declares to the whole world, I'm on Jesus' team. It's called it's water baptism. It's water baptism. And today, today, in, in just a few minutes, during this service, you could go public with your faith. And again, I know a bunch of you have been scared to do this for whatever reason, but remember, the whole point of the book of Joshua is be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid. For the Lord, my God, is with me. And the reason that we baptize people the way we do, the reason we dunk them is because the word in Greek, baptizo, 
It literally means to dunk, to hold under, to wash. That's what it means. And it is an outward symbol of a personal relationship. It, it could be a lot like a wedding ring. My wedding ring means, sorry ladies, I can get it off. My wedding ring means uh, taken. I know you're disappointed. I can tell by your silence. Uh, but here's what this means. It's just, a, it's just an outward representation that I have a relationship with Gretchen. If I do not wear the ring, though it would cause a conversation, it does not mean that I don't have a relationship with her. And if you put the ring on, it doesn't mean that you have a relationship with her. You wish, but guess what, Hoss? Taken, okay? That's what it is. Baptism, in a similar way, is an outward symbol of a relationship that's already started between you and Jesus. When you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything happens that is symbolized in baptism. So what will happen if you're going to get baptized? You'll walk into this water, and the person will ask you, who is Jesus? And you'll say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And they say, upon your public profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my Christian brother or sister. Look, no matter what you've done, no matter what label somebody has given you, you've become a part of the family. I baptize you, my Christian brother or sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we dip you back under the water. And the reason we do that, it symbolizes that you are dying to yourself and your old self is being put in a grave. And then that, that water represents two things. It represents a grave, like you're being buried with Jesus and that your sins are being washed away. And I've had people ask me, very seriously, they're like, Pastor, i got a lot of sins. They're going to have to hold me under until they're all gone. We don't have that kind of time, okay? We don't. You might not make it back up either. But the good news is, is that in Christ, all, all of your sins have already been washed away if you've surrendered your life to him. Because Jesus is the propitiation for your sin. And then, when you come up out of that water, it is to represent what has already happened, that you will be resurrected and join with Christ in his resurrection to a newness of life. The old is gone, and you have been made new. And you don't have to do the stuff you used to do because you're not the person you used to be. The old you is dead, and now Christ lives in you. So what about you? So what God's calling you to do today? In just a few minutes, we want to give you that opportunity. Would you please bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want to ask you, it's only the most important question ever. <laughs> Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And if you hadn't, then right now you can. No matter what label somebody's given you, no matter what you've done, no matter if you've had doubts or whatever, if you are ready to just understand, hey, I'm in trouble, I can't save myself, and I need the grace of Jesus to save me. If that's you, right where you are, just admit it by raising your hand, saying, God, here I am, I surrender to you. Those of you with your hands up, you just tell him, and in this moment, you'll be saved. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you save, that the Lord saves. God, I thank you. It's not by anything that we do, but by putting faith in you, we can have a right standing with you. Jesus, thank you that you are the full and final payment for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, listen, if you're ready to get baptized, this is how we're going to do it. Um, if you're like, ah, I'd like to, but I'm not wearing the right clothes, we have clothes for you. And I picked them out. You're looking so good in them, all right? You can get baptized in your regular clothes unless it's going to make it not worshipful for all of us. You understand what I mean? And so, uh, but we've got clothes for you to put on. And just as soon as you're ready, you can even start moving now. You can go to those walls that way and then loop around. And we've got tubs on either side. 
I would ask that if you're in the fifth grade or under, that you would hold off. We want you to just sit. We want you to meet with our new gen staff just to make sure that you know that you know that you know. I know we do have one kid that's under that, but his parents have already met with the staff and all that during the week. Um, and then, and then also, uh, if you're sitting in this section right here, we just ask that you stay seated because we we want to put it on the camera so that everybody can can be here. And listen, if you know that the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart to go public with your faith, now's your chance. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. The band's going to sing Oceans as we get to celebrate. And listen, this is a celebration that every time somebody gets dumped and comes out of that water, then we lose our minds for the name of Jesus. Ready? Go.